This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome back to the New Books and Indian Religions podcast, the podcast channel here on the New Books Network. Actually, this podcast will probably be hosted primarily by South Asian Studies. Either way, welcome back. Um, today, I have the pleasure of speaking uh, with Dr. Rekha Mate on a fascinating new Degorda publication called Portrayals of Women in Pakistan, an analysis of Famida Riaz's Urdu poetry. Rekha, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So tell us about this figure. Who is this figure and, and how did you get so interested so as to write a book about them? Um, so Fahmida Riaz was a, was an Urdu poet um, who just who recently died, I would say who recently died in 2018. And I came across her during my bachelor um, studies. Yeah, so I got interested in her poetry because she writes uh, feminist poetry, quite bold feminist poetry. And was also exiled. I mean, she's from Pakistan and then she was exiled. And it's quite interesting what she's writing about because it's, it's very bold and she's criticizing um, the patriarchal society and structure. She's criticizing the role of women. And she was one of the first to write about motherhood, um, pregnancy and these kind of issues, but also uh, menstruating women, for instance. Yeah. Well, definitely a fascinating figure. Um, what would you say um, when you were reading her poetry? You know, I imagine that you were reading it first as a lover of poetry, or did you encounter it as a scholar first? As both. I, um, mm. yeah, she was introduced to one of the Urdu classes, and I do like poetry and I do write poetry, but I just, I just like Urdu poetry per se, and um, yeah, I just got hooked up on her, so to speak. Yeah, it's a beautiful language, one that I, I don't have among the hundred languages that I don't have. <laughs> um, but uh, one wonders um, whether the draw for you primarily was literary or was it primarily for her activism or you know what 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 brought you into what about her brought you into the world so as to devote uh, uh the time to write a book on it the way she writes 
I would say the the way she uses um, the rhyming patterns, the fiction she's using, the metaphors, the themes. Also, that's it's like a it's like a whole picture. You can't really say I like this and that fast. It's mm. yeah, it's all of it. Tell us a little bit more, if you can, about um, the woman herself. Uh, you mentioned that uh, she was exiled. Yes. Yes. Uh, so she... tell us about that. <clears throat> she was exiled uh, during the Ziolahak era because, of course, um, being being what she called herself a Marxist and being um, politically active and rebelling against the state at that time, she had several law cases against her. And then she was, um, I think, yeah, she went to jail. She was bailed out and then she fled to India in the 1980s and stayed in Delhi for about seven to eight years and then returned when um, Bhutto was back in power. What is your book arguing? Is it simply presenting her portrayal of women in her poetry or is it arguing something in particular? So I wanted to look at um, how how does it look like? I mean, we talk about this umbrella term feminism all the time. And if you look at South Asian studies, you know that you cannot look at India, Pakistan or Bangladesh per se. You always have to look at the regions because everything's different. So I wanted to look at how does it look like or what do people or women, I mean, even men think in, in Karachi, for instance, or Lahore, so the, the urban middle class um, that speaks Urdu because you can't understand a poetry if you don't speak Urdu or if you don't understand poetry at a certain level. And I wanted to look at what are they talking about? How does, yeah, how how are women portrayed? What do they fight for? What do they fight for in literature? And does it change? How does it change? Is it connected to her life? And while it is connected to her life, in what way? And this is actually what I what I looked at, and um, yeah, and of course I found out that it is connected to her life. <laughs> it's quite normal. Excuse me, um, uh, definitely. Before we dive into the specific question, um, you you explore, problematize, or at least explore the idea of feminism. Yes. And what does feminism mean? What does feminism mean in South Asia? And so. What do you come up with? What do you have to say about that? That you can't really have one definition what feminism is. I mean, in the West, people think feminism is a bold um, kind of feminism. Very, I don't know, the gender rights and the gender roles. Um, it's quite different. I do not know how to explain it, but it's quite different. The structures are, are different because the culture is different. And then again, um, the society. And of course, in Pakistan, we have the religion. So I would say it's intertwined with social um, social constructs and historical constructs, but also, also the, um, the where you live. So um, just uh, one second, so let me collect my thoughts. Um, sure, take your time. Yeah. <laughs> so I would say it it looks different. It looks different. I mean, if you if you look at feminism in Maharashtra, it's a completely different kind of feminism as you have in in Bengal, for instance. And um, there is hardly any research about it. I mean, we have some research about the the feminism in West Bengal, but there's no research about other kinds of feminism. And I 
kind of looked at it what are the what are the um what are the main topics that people or women or men interest over there because we if we talk about feminism we should not only talk about women it's um of course there are also men who can be feminist so i found out it's very often it's this um oppression that people are fighting first um due to the the colonial background but also then um we have these patriarchal societies, so um, old traditions that are implanted, and this is this is mainly it. I mean, it's it's like she says, or Fahmida said, it's it's about walking on the streets and not being looked at in a weird way, not being harassed, for instance. This is something they're fighting for, whereas in the West, so to speak, we would very often say okay that why that's not feminism for us we, we, we're fighting for different things so you always have to have a different kind of approach you always have to look at it um at the place where you are so the geological mm. geological i'm sorry <laughs> geographical yes yes thank you yes yes sorry. no i understand yeah. what 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 you, what just what i'm hearing and in, in what's being said perhaps is that um the the endeavor uh of uh, uh, feministic endeavor uh it, it is it is relative to the baseline yes. of women's experiences yes which of course you know a uh, hundred women in a city will have a hundred very very different experiences but nevertheless there might be something in the zeitgeist or the ethos of a particular yes. place or culture that and so because we all have such different starting points culturally, geographically, that um, that, that journey perhaps looks different from from space to space. Um, you you have an interesting subsection in that chapter. I think it was chapter three where you talk about the problem of defining a feminist and um, what's the difference between Islamic feminism versus feminism in Islam. Oh, that's quite difficult. Well, this is one of your this is one of your headings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, but it's 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 really difficult to explain. <laughs> that's all, that's all right. We'll 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 get there. Um, one of Islamic feminism, if I remember correctly, um, is that you look at um. So that you take the Quran and the Sunnah as a baseline, and then you um, you kind of reapproach, so to speak, what what were women's rights, or um, read it in a non-patriarchal way, and then interpret it um, again. If I remember correctly, because it's this is this is this is a topic I'm telling you. I was just oh god. <laughs> Oh, that's all right. <laughs> that's all right. We've all we've all um by the time our books are birthed into the world, it has been such a long time since we've actually it there's such a a, a time span between when we write the last paragraph, <laughs> be a year or more. <laughs> we move, we're in the thick of another project. And so no, I understand. But these are fascinating ideas and and certainly um we're not getting into the the, the technical bits that we might in a specialist conference per se, but you know, these are ideas of the public, uh, various publics would be interested in. So that's great. Um, okay. So, so then dive into the gist of your book and maybe unpack for us, uh, you know, the, the portrayal itself, you know, her portrayal and, 
and perhaps the ways in which her journey influences the work. Tell us a bit more about that. So she was actually born in, uh, that was still British India, and they um, her father was still alive and he moved to Sindh, as far as I could gather. And then the family moved also to Sindh. She was quite small. She must have been about five years old. And she grew up in a literate family. So, so she heard a lot um, of poetry, Farsi poetry, Udu poetry. And her father apparently was a poet. Her father died quite early on. And I think this already had an impact on her. You know, the, I mean, she, as I understood, she had siblings, um, I think, at least one sister that that I that I read, read about. And uh, she grew up to be a rebellious and independent woman, I would say. And um, while she was growing up, so in the 60s in Pakistan, she also worked for um, several organizations. She marched in uh, rallies and protested against, I can't really remember, but uh, surely against the regime or things that were not as they should have been for women or in her view um, at that time. And she got um, she got married quite early because, as she said, she wanted to get out of Pakistan. She wanted to experience something new. So what to do? And she was married and moved to the UK, where she had a short marriage and it was apparently not a very happy one. But she got pregnant and it's really interesting. So she starts writing. I mean, she wrote a first book of poetry already in Pakistan. And it's this kind of innocent poetry. It's bold poetry, but it's it's slightly innocent. And then she moves to the UK and she talks about uh, pregnancy, motherhood, and also in a negative way, which is quite interesting, how uh, a child can drain you of your, of your sleep. And, and it can be annoying. Of course, children are not always perfect, right? Especially after giving birth. And she criticized that and kind of showed the negative side of motherhood too and she was one of the first and that was so the book um, was published in 1972 which is um yeah which is one of the first books of volumes that spoke about these kind of topics and at that time or about that time she also moved back to Pakistan because she realized that her marriage was over it was not what she had expected and she also she faced racial issues in the UK at that time and was seen as this weird South Asian woman um and she went back and then published another volume of poetry and and you can see that and she marries a Sindhi revolutionist and she is engaged and uh, meets um meets of course meets with them tries to promote what they're promoting so they were were fighting for several I don't remember what it was but it it definitely was something important for um for Sindh at that time and then we have the old Huck and of course she says we're not taking this this dictator and then she has to leave the country because she spoke out about it publicly and she also wrote about it she had her own um literature what was it she had her own magazine Arj if I remember correctly and she she always published of course as as they would say propaganda um and then she had to leave the country and you can see that in her poetry and you can see during the Ziol Haq era that her poetry I mean we have this naive um, girl and then you have the woman that's 
you know, that experiences motherhood, experiences the first time, talks about um, menstruation, and later on experiences the dictatorship that women have to veil themselves, that they have to be secluded to the home. And she talks about this and she also changes her um, her diction changes. So she uses a lot of Arabic and Persian words and also constructions, which she, she did not use before. And then when she's in when she's in India, she writes a long poem. It's very political. Um, and um, her poetry talks about exile, but also changes again. She uses more Sanskrit words, which is really interesting. And you can see it's, it's really connected to that. She talks about her son, how he has to grow up in another country, how she's missing her own home by feeling somewhat being at home, because of course, India and Pakistan, it's, it's, it's nearly the same culture. And when she returns, of course, then she's older. So we have this kind of, she's still, um, talking about that kind of trauma, having to leave her own country, and she still wanted to return. I mean, she could have stayed in India, but she said, no, I want to go back to my own country. And then she came back and at the late 1980s. And then it's like some, yeah, I would say, I mean, then the poetry, I mean, that's, she talks about the trauma mostly and um, is interest, interested in politi political issues around the globe, talks about that in a poetry, of course, um, gets more inf interested in Sufism, so talks about that. And then her son dies, and that was in 2007, and we see this cut. We see this cut, and she stopped. I had a feeling she stopped writing. She started writing books for children, um, also for her grandchildren later on. And the last volume, of course, I mean, she was quite old is published when she was at least about 70 years old and um, she talks about death she talks about religion but you can see the change you know before she talks about she criticizes islam she criticizes the islamic government she is um, also kind of intertwining islam and um, and menstruation, for instance, this was one of her most famous uh, poems and is widely read. And then later on, you see this, it, it gets subdued. It, it, the focus changes. She talks more about Sufism. And what I found very interesting, she always said she's not religious. And later on, she says, of course, she's somewhat religious. And she uses those Islamic terms when she talks about her son. And she writes this long poem about his death, and it's it's quite interesting. Um, so, yeah. is it is it fair to say that, at least uh, as indicated in her poetry, that she becomes more religious over time? That's difficult. She always mm. denied it. Um, I would say she definitely became more interested in Sufism. That is clear, and she could have become more religious. But then again, she was ill. And um, she knew she won't have long to live, so I because think... we we do see more religious content in her later works, correct? Yes, we do. And then, how would you characterize her discourse on religion? These works, it's more uh, mortality. It's mortality issues in the end. In the beginning, it's more this, this... existential. Yes, yes, yes. Because... Well, there's something about this way of time, and there's something about. The certainty of death that um, that uh, facilitates, prompts, uh, insists that we ponder, ponder what might lay beyond these things. Yes, fascinating. What do you 
clearly she was a multifaceted figure, um, overarchingly a poet, uh, an activist, maybe a provocateur, provocateurs, I should say, to, to use the proper gender uh, in French. Um, 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 but what do you feel she was hoping to accomplish with the poetry? I mean, and this may have changed, and it's all conjecture, and I respect that. But what, what was she aiming at? What, what was her... What was she really hoping to accomplish with what she was writing? I think she wanted people to stand up to um, protest against things, that things change in society. Women get a voice. or Women also stand up, you know, as it is, right? Patriarchal um, constructs, they not only come from men. So I think that's what she was aiming at. And she was definitely aiming at her own class, at the urban middle class, because again, the, the diction she uses, I um, I have a lot of friends or people who, who have a tough time understanding what she's talking about because they don't understand her diction. It's, um, it's really sophisticated. You really have to have an interest in poetry and you have to be very good at Urdu or at least Hindustani, as she called it, and I would call it. And of course, sometimes when she ventures into Arabic or Persian words, you, 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 can, you can get lost if you're not from Pakistan, definitely. Um, and then when she ventures into the Sanskrit uh, diction, you can get lost if you, uh, for instance, you you don't speak Punjabi or something like that, and you've never heard those words. And it's it's for a specific audience, definitely. It's not for the. She always said yes, it's about the peasants, of course, um, because she said she was a Marxist. But I would not I would not say that's. That was her. Um... Clearly, it was for a highly cultured audience, without yes. question. Yes. Um, which, which, uh, in more cases than not, implies an affluent audience or well-to-do audience. Yes. Uh, it's not necessarily the case, but often uh, one one goes with the other. Um, tell us a bit about her use of Sanskrit. Why, why is she using Sanskrit? What Sanskrit words are you using? Tell us a bit about that. I can't help but ask, given my own interests. I don't remember the words, but um, it's when she was in, in India. So she learned to read uh, Devanagari and therefore, and uh, she was a friend of Amrita Pritam and they translated or, or kind of not translated, transliterated some of the poetry into Devanagari because before that it was only Nastalik. And after that, you find you find a lot of terms that are that you have to look up from Braj Basha or um, even um, Rajasthani and those Sanskritic words. I, I I don't remember them. I'm so sorry. Oh no no, it's not it's not even the specific words that that um and that's all right. Um, that probably would be too nerdy for the audience anyhow. But it, but more, can we characterize, you know, why does she use them? I mean, is it just uh, convenient? Is it for poetry? Is it, I mean, why does she all of a sudden introduce a completely foreign and ancient Indic language it's, that's so tied to sort of, um, for lack of a better word, uh, Hindu idioms of philosophy and ritual? Like, that seems, um, it's fascinating. Like, why, why on earth would you do that, do you think? I think because she feels connected to the, she felt connected to the people over there, um, and it influenced her. Of course, wherever we live, we we're influenced by how how people speak around us. You can hear that I'm not a native speaker and I'm struggling, and I'm influenced by that because I'm not in an in an English speaking country, for instance. And she was in a country where they they did not speak Urdu; they spoke more Hindi or more Hindustani, and um, I think that influenced her. And of course. Maybe she also said, "Okay, you're my brothers and sisters." No, 
And perhaps she recognized that would have been her audience, her audience, and would have shifted. But one thing that I find fascinating is that she realizes that her geographical and linguistic audience shifted, but nevertheless, the register of culturedness stays the same. So she's invoking an, uh, an ancient uh, um, um, carrier or symbol of culture, Sanskrit. So she's, you know, she's, she's, she's invoking a certain echelon of society where perhaps in an alternate universe, you'd be writing in Europe with a sprinkling in Latin expressions. <laughs> she surely would have done that as far as I know. She was interested in all kinds of literatures. She was, she read a lot of European literature too. So uh, she surely would have. Yeah, that's, that's fascinating. What um what's did anything surprise you about this project, or was there anything impressed upon you as you as you read her poetry and tried to make sense of it? Is there anything that stayed with you or, or surprised you? Um, her last poems, actually, not the early ones are. I would say they're important and they're kind of cute, and and you can see how she progresses. And uh, what stayed with me and still stays with me is um. The poem about her her son, I've translated a small part of it. That was that was really tough. I would say it's very emotional. And uh, she wrote a poem about um, the society in Pakistan or in in South Asia in general. Um, the, the way how the society behaves or how the protagonists behave when a girl is raped. And this is a poem that really stayed with me because it's so accurate. She's not only portraying what the girl feels, she's portraying how the father reacts, what he says, how the neighbors talk, the, um, what is it? The, the, the officer of the ward talks, how the well on the way talks to her and says, go and drown yourself, you should not live. And this is the thing that really stayed with me because it's so accurate. It's it's quite triggering, I'm sure, for a lot of people, but it's very, very accurate. Yeah. Mm. Fascinating. Is there anything else about this figure or the book that you want to mention? That's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a great deal, but I mean to say, have we sort of covered the gist of it, the gist of your argument? Or is there something else you wanted to add? Um, yeah, what we haven't talked about is actually that she was influenced by the Press Writers Movement. Mm. She was influenced by them. She admired them. She read a lot about, I mean, I think she was also, I'm not sure if she was friends with Fez or not Fez, but she admired him. And um, I had to look at uh, the, the band book, um, Angade, which is still really difficult to find. And of course, you do find it in translation, but it's it's set, kind of censored at times. And I somewhat had the feeling that she she was as bold as they were, maybe a bit later in the time. And of course, she, she wasn't fully banned, but people were not happy what she was writing about. That's... That's a thing I, I think we should talk mm. about. Yeah. Mm. Is there is she a figure that you continue to work on? I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, of course, there is a lot to be covered still because I've only looked at her um, or tried to. Of course, it's all intertwined. Looked at the the, the, the side about fa feminism to to use the umbrella term feminism. But there is a lot of poetry about um, her political thinking about the 
the Baluchi, the army in Baluchistan and these kind of things. There are a lot of things one should translate and some of the things are not being translated and have not been translated because people tend to look at, and, and this is what make, makes me a bit sad, they, they tend to look at the, the old volumes that are very bold and, and feministic, uh, but they don't, they don't look at that side of her. And I think it's very important. I think that should be worked on, but I'm sure if I would like to do that because... Then again, I've worked on her stuff a long time and I've, I've done, I mean, the whole, um, what is it? I have a lot of tables. What are her poems? What are they about? So anybody who would like to start and work on her poetry or her themes, of course, could could use that huge table that I've created because you will you will have, uh, have an idea. But... No, I don't think so. She's really fascinating, but I think I should move on. Well, I I completely relate in the sense that there's there's I I might have, for example, maybe a book at some point or a handful of articles on the Markande Purana that I want to write, and of course I I I feel like I will have scratched the itch for myself, but one could write a hundred articles on the Markandeya Purana actually. And so to my mind, uh, books like yours, uh, the best books are beginnings, you know, they sort of create inroads in the field. And so the book does, um, in addition to presenting who she is, it lays the, it, it lays out her, her contribution. And so for anybody remotely interested, of course, and those listening to this podcast, uh, you know, whether they're, whether they're, whether they're scholars in South Asian studies or women's studies or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what you've done is you've shown what there is to yet to work on, which is great. And those who are interested will take it up. Um, the, the last question I have is more of a broad question. Um, you know, I have, I always have a, a few general questions that I ask. There are five seminal questions that I typically ask, and then we see where the, we see where the wind takes us. Um, uh, you have, by virtue of this work, done a fair bit of research on feminism in South Asian in South Asia. Is that fair? Would you say? Yes, yes, that's fair. And so, given given your perspective on what you've learned, and without question, it's a vast topic. But it, generalizations are not only allowed on podcasts, they're welcomed. <laughs> so can you give us a little bit in your perspective of a snapshot of what you're seeing in sort of feminism in South Asia? You know, what what trends, what, you know, what are you noticing? You know, what's the lay of the land in your I research? I would say it's evolving and it, it's, it's just... It, Different is always the wrong word, right? Then in I mean this these are the categories that really have my tough time in, in finding anything about this umbrella term of feminism in South Asia because I have this Western and these Western definitions and I have those I mean there there is no definition for South Asia. It's not possible anyways. Um I'd say it's it's changing, it's evolving. We have the audit marches in Pakistan, but then again. Um, do they do they want the same thing that Fahmida wanted? Um, it definitely is still against a patriarchal society, but we have we have some Islamization, Islamization, yeah, happening, and then of course it 
it's not the same as in India. It's not the same for a Hindu woman. It's not the same for a Muslim woman. It's not the same for a Muslim woman from, from the South, from Kerala or Tamil Nadu or from Maharashtra. I mean, it's it's all different. But what I can see is it's changing. And um, I always feel that the Bengali women or men are at the forefront, but their feminism is kind of, I have the feeling it's, it's slightly bolder. And they are... If we want to talk in stages, I'm really careful to talk about stages. But then if you would like to say they're, they're like some stages further. And um, in, in Pakistan, it's really difficult with the pat- patriarchal society I mean, in general. But there we have Islam in, um, imprinted in the, in the what, what's the word for it in the constitution. So, of course, there, there are different problems, different things to have to, to have to handle, and they they need different approaches than somebody, than a Muslim woman in or a Muslim man in Mumbai, for instance. Fascinating. Well, thank you for sharing your work with us today and and your your perspective on feminism in South Asia. Thanks for appearing on the podcast. Thank you. For those listening, of course, we've been speaking with Dr. Rekha Mate on portrayals of women in Pakistan, where she looks at the fascinating uh, figure, uh, Famida Riaz's uh, Udu poetry. Um, until next time, keep well, keep listening, keep reading, keep contemplating um, women's experiences, uh, past, present, and even future. Take care.